So in our reading of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, we have reached chapter 4 and verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Father, we pray a fresh anointing on Gareth as he opens these words of yours to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you hear me from this mic? I think so. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Nine o'clock, it has been too long, it feels, uh, since I was able to share with you. We are continuing today our series on the theme of gospel uh, from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, just last week, Gav Calver, who is the new CEO of the Evangelical Alliance, uh, went on record in an interview as saying, that the single biggest issue facing the UK church today is confidence in the gospel. The single biggest issue facing the UK church today is confidence in the gospel. Now, you may bristle slightly at that, that statement. It may seem a bit bold or brash. It may seem like an oversimplification of a far more complex set of challenges but it struck me as I thought about this series and prepared for today. And it struck me because it seems that as we read this passage, 
that the single biggest issue facing the Galatians was certainly confidence in the gospel. We've heard already in this series what this gospel is. It is that game-changing announcement that guilty people can be justified, can be made right with God. It is that wonderful news that people that are stuck can be set free and adopted into God's family. It is a liberating, life-giving, game-changing piece of good news that you and me can be part of God's story and God's family. This was the message, this was the good news upon which the Galatian community had begun. Paul had planted the church based on the preaching of that gospel, and yet, and yet, as we hear this passage read out, it seems as if they've lost sight of and confidence in that liberating, life-giving reality. And they seem to have lost sight in that reality, probably because of two reasons, I would suggest, in this passage. Firstly, they seem to have forgotten, fundamentally, that they are known by God. Fundamentally, they've forgotten that their their identity, their existence as a church is based on the fact that they are known by God. But secondly, and I suggest this is also pretty significant, they have forgotten that they have been known by Paul. Their life together has been based on friendship. He has served and spoken to them in the context of one who knew them, who cared for them. And so in this passage, he fears for them. In this passage, he pleads with them. In this passage, he is perplexed by them, and he longs to be with them, to talk face to face. And so... In the midst of this incredibly um, eloquent and incredibly intricate argument that Paul is making over the course of this letter, it's like in this passage and in these verses, he takes a bit of a break. He takes a bit of a break from this big, long rhetorical flourish, and he stops and he says, you're hearing the big picture. I'm telling you the big story. But right now, I want to talk to you personally. I want to plead with you. And he pleads with them in three ways. But I reckon we'll manage two this morning. He pleads with them in three ways. But the two we're going to talk about is that he asks them to remember their freedom, firstly. But he also longs that they might rekindle their friendship. So it's an appeal to remember their freedom in Jesus, but also Paul wants to rekindle their friendship with him. And all of this is in the service that they might have restored confidence in the gospel that had saved them and set them free. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to have it open. Um, And I'll read again verses 8 and 9. Paul starts, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Before they had found their salvation and identity in Jesus, the Galatian people were pagans. In other words, 
they would have been a context and culture which worshipped, it is likely, many gods in many ways in many temples. And yet, they found faith in the one God through Jesus Christ. But what Paul seems to be saying here is at this time, in this place, in this context and situation, it's as if the Galatians are going backwards. They're going backwards. They're becoming slaves again to the very false gods that they once worshipped. They're reverting to their previous patterns of life and way of worship. Now, this actually seems to me like a pretty strange claim on the surface because as we've been reading through this letter to Galatians, at no point has Paul ever indicated in any sense at any time that the danger they were facing had anything to do with going back and worshipping multiple gods. That's never something that seems in view. It never seems like it's the danger that they're facing. So what's going on here? And, and as if that wasn't clear enough that that wasn't really the picture, in verse 10, Paul suggests that the reason he knows they're in danger of regressing back into slavery to things that are not God's is not that they're going to go back into the pagan temples, but rather that they are following feasts and festivals, that they are keeping the times and seasons and celebrations of the Jewish calendar. Now, especially on Christ the King, on Stir Up Sunday, and a week before we enter into Advent and then celebrate Christmas, and then we have Epiphany, um, I don't think that the application and interpretation of this verse is that Paul somehow hates any kind of festival, any kind of way of marking seasons or celebrating particular times in the life of the community of faith. I don't really think that's what's going on. I think, though, what is interesting is what happens when you marry verse 10 and verse 9 and, and what's going on here. And I think it's worth just stepping back and just reminding ourselves in, in pretty basic and stark terms what the issue was in the context of the church in Galatia. And this maybe is an oversimplification, but I think it's helpful. The gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians in the first place the foundation on which the church was planted and the community sprung up was this. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Then you will be set free to follow God's laws and scripture's teachings. What the outside teachers are telling the Galatians right now is that they must believe in Jesus and follow the law, and then they will be saved. Now, if you notice, the basic ingredients are pretty similar, if not the same. And yet the order, or rather the disorder, is where the tension lies. Now, those teachers that would come to the Galatians and tell them, hold on, if you're going to truly be the people of God, if you're going to really enter into the inner circle of God's family, then you need to observe Jewish laws and customs, and you need to essentially make yourself a Jew who follows Jesus too. Well, they were presenting that to the Galatian people as 
advanced Christianity. Essentially, what Paul had offered was the sort of basic, the basic belief system. But really, what they were coming with was an upgrade, a, a, a way of truly realizing their religious potential. That's what was on offer here. But what Paul is saying quite starkly, really starkly in these verses, is that in switching around the order, in disordering our view of salvation, actually, what the Galatians were doing might as well have been regressing back to worshipping in those temples where they'd once found their faith. He's saying that when you switch the order around, even though the basic ingredients are pretty much the same, actually, you may as well go back to worshipping in those temples. And as if it isn't clear enough, Paul says in verse 11, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. In other words, if you are going to base your sense of security, salvation, and your identity, not just on who Jesus is, but what you can do to prove your religious worth on top of that, then my preaching to you was pointless. There was no purpose in even planting this church. You may as well be back where you started because you are basically stuck. You're slaves again to the system that once held you captive. And if you think at this stage that maybe this is just a very Protestant reading of this passage, or even that this is just a really Paul way of approaching faith, I think there's no better illustration of what Paul is trying to get at here than one which was offered by Jesus himself in the Gospels in Luke chapter 15 in perhaps the most famous of parables, that of the two lost sons. We probably know this story, the story of the younger son who asks for his inheritance, goes off to a distant land, squanders it, and as he comes back, he finds himself thinking that maybe, just maybe, he could be a servant or some kind of slave in his father's house, having lost everything, and yet the great news is that the father has been waiting for him, comes out, embraces him, and actually puts a ring on his finger to signify that his inheritance is restored, his status is restored, and he is now back and firmly part of the family. He's been almost adopted, readmitted into the family. But this is a story, as we know, that has a sting in its tail, because it doesn't end with a celebration, much as we would like it to. It ends with a second son, a second son who seems to have been pretty faithful, who seems to have stuck by his father's side, who's worked hard, who's done the business, who's never abandoned him. And yet, despite that, the story ends with that seemingly faithful son stuck, sulking in the fields, unable to share in the celebration and the joy that everyone else is taking part in. And it seems to me that the reason why is that he's based his relationship with his father on what he does. Not with the father himself, not with the relationship that they have, but his entire sense of purpose and identity has been based on the fact that he was the faithful son, that he was the one that worked hard and served diligently. 
And so when his brother is graciously welcomed home, he can't cope. And it's as if Paul is saying to the Galatians, you were that younger son and you were in grave danger. You were in grave danger quite quickly of becoming the older son. You're in danger of entering into your father's house one way and exiting out the other to go sulk in the field and base your sense of security and salvation. Not on what Jesus has done for you, not on the gracious embrace of the Father, but on your capacity now to observe feasts and festivals, on your ability apparently to adapt to certain Jewish customs. And this, my friends, I think is why this theme of gospel is every bit, if not more important to us, the longer we've been Christians. I think the temptation is that we think, even even quite subtly, that the gospel of grace, the invitation to be saved by grace through faith, is our starting point. We start there, but then as as we spend longer in church as we become more acquainted with Scripture, as, as we serve God and as we figure out what following Jesus means in our day-to-day lives, that we move past that first call to be children of God in Jesus. But actually, the danger is, is that the longer that we've been Christians, the easier it is to drift into being like the Galatians and being like their older brother. And so the question for us this morning is, do we remember that we are free? Have you ever found yourself forgetting that you are free? Do you ever find yourself forgetting and becoming distant from the freedom that is yours in Jesus? And when you feel that distance, how do you respond? It seems to me, from my own uh, experience, that when I feel um, a sense of distance from God, when I don't feel his felt presence, my temptation, ironically, in the context of this text, is to think, okay, I feel distant from God. What, what, I, what I need to do is really reestablish my spiritual disciplines. Yeah, I feel distant from God. That's what I need to do. I feel, I feel distant from God. So what I, what I really need to do is do more. I feel distant from God, um, maybe because there's something I've messed up in, or maybe it's just because God's presence doesn't feel that obvious. And so what I think I need to do is do more, is improve my religious performance. And if I improve my religious performance... <laughs> then maybe, just maybe, the reality of God's presence and his love for me will be more real. Now, if you were to ask me if I believe that that is the way to approach my faith, then I will tell you, of course not, because my identity is found only in Jesus. But human nature is that we tend towards self-sufficiency, even in the context of our spiritual existence and our Christian faith. And so, again, the question for you is, do you ever feel this way, and do you ever feel like you've forgotten your freedom? 
And what I love about this passage is the, the way in which Paul brings the Galatians back to this. And it's a reminder that their identity is found not in what they can do or even in who they are, but rather in whose they are. It's not in what they know, but rather, verse 9, in knowing that they are known by God. Tim Keller puts it a little like this. The greatest longing of the human heart is to be both truly loved and fully known. To be loved without being known is shallow. And to be known without being loved is scary. But to be both truly known and fully loved, or fully loved and truly known, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. And it's out of that place that we can put away our attempts at religious performance and we can have the true solidity and security of what it means to be a child of God. Paul wants to remind them of their freedom so that they don't get enslaved to their own spiritual self-sufficiency, their own proclivity for religious performance. But secondly, he wants to rekindle their friendship. Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. Now, on its own, this verse may seem like a pretty bold claim from, from Paul. It may seem like quite an arrogant ask to make of the Galatians. Become like me as I became like you. But I, th- I think we need to read this verse, and I think this verse is a, is a key verse, actually, in thinking not just what it means to live uh, out the gospel in our own lives, but actually to share the gospel with others. And I think if we read the context, then we get a little sense of what Paul is getting at. So in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now what I I, I love about this is Paul is, is reminding them a little bit of the story of how the church first came to be planted. And the interesting thing is that the church in Galatia wasn't actually part of Paul's original missionary journey. It wasn't meant to be a church planting pit stop for Paul. Paul was on his way somewhere else. Maybe Ephesus, we're not quite sure. But what happened is that for some reason, whether it was an an illness that came about by natural causes, or whether, um, because this verse can also be translated bodily ailments, whether it was an injury that Paul received as a result of persecution, uh, we don't quite know. But Paul was on his way somewhere else, but due to ill health, due to a physical ailment, he found himself waylaid and in Galatia. And in verse 14, it says that when he found himself in that condition, he received the Galatians' hospitality. Here's, here's what I love. Two things. One, this says that a lot of sharing our faith is actually rooted in receiving hospitality, not just giving it. But there's also something beautiful about the fact that actually Paul was never meant to be there in the first place. He got injured, and yet just like Paul does, whether he finds himself in prison or finds himself enjoying the hospitality of a makeshift hospital bed in Galatia, Paul uses that as an opportunity 
to share his faith, to share the good news, to share the gospel. There's something beautiful about that. Paul was very strategic, and yet he was always interruptible, always willing to see any adversity as an opportunity. But there's something in this story that speaks of what Paul is really getting at in verse 12. Because what verse 12 is saying is that there are two sides of the coin when it comes to sharing the gospel, the good news of faith with people. It involves becoming like them, but also asking them, in a sense, to become like you. There's two sides of this. And I think this is really important because the temptation is to do one or the other. There are some of us that are very comfortable with the idea that sharing the gospel is, in a sense, an invitation to become like me. We have truth, truth to tell, truth to share, and we should have no shame, no embarrassment in proclaiming it and inviting others to believe it too. Other people uh, might tend more towards the, I'll become like you. We, if we're going to meet people and minister to them, we've got to meet them where they are. We've got to be incarnational, as it were. We've got we've to get in there with people. We're, we're broken people too. We've got a lot to learn from people. We've got to get in there. We've got to relate to people. And maybe, just maybe, if we do that, we will shine the light of Jesus subtly but significantly. Now, on their own, both of these things are true, and both of these things can win people over to the good news of the gospel. But together, together, that is a pretty profound and powerful combination. Because having walked with them, having talked with them, having received their blessing and their hospitality, in that moment, Paul says, now, become like me. Share with me the gospel of grace. It's not an arrogant thing because for Paul, his entire identity is based on the fact that he cannot win salvation by religious performance, that there is only hope, there is only truth, there is only salvation in Jesus. And so for him, having walked and talked and lived and breathed with the Galatians, having become like them, He has no shame, no embarrassment, no awkwardness about then saying, I've lived with you. I know you. I loved you. You're my friends. Now I'd love you to know about Jesus. I'll finish with this story um, that for me illustrates a beautiful example of this playing out uh, in a friendship that I've probably talked to you about before. As many of you know, this year, um, earlier this year, my dad uh, went to be with the Lord. And the reason I can use the phrase, went to be with the Lord, is because of a man called John. Not John Blakely, we didn't know each other yet. Um, But a man called John Hadfield, who is in some ways one of my evangelism heroes. And John, uh, as I... uh, might have told you, was a, was a man who was struggling. He was suffering with ill health. Um, he'd, he'd had a fairly aggressive form of cancer. He'd been given not that long to live. And, and actually, the, the effect of this illness was having quite a, quite a 
uh, an obvious and, and difficult uh, kind of physical manifestation. He is, um, yeah, his facial features were affected. It was, it was a pretty difficult time for him and his wife. And one day, he saw my dad at the supermarket. And a couple of things. He went up to dad, and dad greeted him very warmly. Dad had met him once or twice. And actually, what was interesting was that John was blessed because many people, actually, he had found, found it awkward to talk to John because of the physical symptoms of his illness. And, and my dad would chat to anybody and uh, was quite happy to, to welcome and embrace John. And what began there was uh, an amazing friendship because... John was able to enter into my dad's world. My dad was able to bless him. And so in that moment, John invited my dad to some men's breakfasts. And over weeks and months, over coffees and conversations, my dad eventually gave his life to Jesus. Now, I love this story of John because... On the one hand, there's this sense in which he was blessed and received a sense of hospitality from my dad. He was able to meet my dad where he was in a way that I'd never been able to, my mum had never been able to, despite 30 years of marriage. He was able to meet my dad where he was at. But, but rather than simply get excited about the fact that, oh, well, I'm able to get alongside this person, he was confident enough in both the need and the power of the gospel that he was willing to invite dad to come and join and follow Jesus. And because John was able to say and was willing to say, I've become like you, Michael. I've entered into your world. You know that this gospel has transformed me. Become like me as I've become like you. And my dad did. And, and so that is why earlier this year, was we, as we said goodbye to dad, we knew that it was saying goodbye to someone that, despite all his foibles, had faith in Jesus and was justified. Despite all his brokenness, was adopted and was God's son. And that's, why, um, and that's why today I, can, I, I say to you, um, confidence in the gospel, whether it's the single biggest issue facing the church or not, I don't know. But it is an issue. And in this passage, Paul not, tells us not only why our confidence in our own salvation needs to be based solely on the gospel, but why the only thing we truly have to offer the world is this life-changing, liberating truth.